Jeff Vaughn, who is one of our missionaries with Mission to the World, which is our denomination's world mission sending agency. And he is uh, currently stateside working and doing training in biblical counseling in preparation for going back to the field. He's been ministering in Costa Rica, among other places around the world. And we've known Jeff for a good time, a good long time here. I knew Jeff back in seminary days where he and his wife lived uh, just around the corner from us on, uh, in a set of apartments where there were a lot of uh, seminary students. Jeff's wife was the, uh, church, uh, the school secretary for the Montessori school that Tony and I cleaned at. She was up in the office in the air conditioning, and we were out feeding and mucking the ponies, I think is what it was. But that's great experience looking back on our uh, seminary years and seeing where God would lead us and take us. And it's really neat for me to just be able to invite a friend to come up and to open God's Word to us this morning. So, Jeff, would you come and open God's Word? Thanks. It's so good to be here with you. Redeemer has a special place in our hearts. As you have been here with us for the long haul, One of the things that I hate about missionary life is writing prayer letters. It's always hard because I find myself going in two tendencies. One is to make everything sound rosy, and it sounds really heroic and great. On the other side, it's like this desperate, woe is me. I'm so lonely and isolated. And in the ministry, often we vacillate from one side to the other. And yet both of these are not concentrated on God and on His glory. It's so easy to let ourselves become the focus. And I think that's what's happening in our passage this morning. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Kings Chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. We're going to talk about the story of Elijah. And Elijah went through those ups and downs of ministry from the highs to the lows. And yet we'll see that God is jealous for His glory, and He will not share it. And He will do whatever it takes to crush the idols of our hearts to reveal Himself to us, and to cause us to rest in His unfailing love. This passage has a special meaning for us. Almost a year ago, we returned from Costa Rica for our home ministry assignment. And this last assignment had a lot of ups and downs. It was a roller coaster of of joys and sorrows. We saw God do incredible things. One church had a handful of baptisms, our newest church plant. Another one had nine baptisms, and the third had 12. And it was exciting to see God at work transforming the lives of people in these communities. And yet at the same time, we experienced great despair as several of the leaders that we trained pulled away from the new denomination 
that we were forming. Our mother church changed location several times and dwindled down to a remnant. Several leaders that I had poured my life into were having serious marriage struggles. Two pastors quit the ministry, and some of my closest friends decided not to continue with our movement. On top of these ministry struggles, two of our children went through some traumatic experiences. We were hoping to adopt a little Costa Rican orphan girl named Melissa. And that, went, that f- process came to an abrupt stop. We went through the ups and downs of seeing God at work and then in having incredible disappointment. Almost a year ago, as I was laying in, lying in bed at the Warner's house, thinking, what am I going to say to Redeemer Church? I have these two warring emotions. Do I, do I give them the rosy picture of, yes, exciting things are happening, or, wow, this is really hard? And as I was sitting there in this despair, God came to me. And in the quiet, he, His Spirit nudged me to read this passage. This passage has meant a lot to me over the past year. And at RTS Orlando, where we're studying counseling, the final chapel just a few weeks ago, Ligon Duncan preached from this same passage. And once again, God broke my heart. And I was trying to decide what to bring to you this morning. And so we're going to talk about the story of Elijah. You see, God will allow us to go through disappointments in order to crush our idols, those things that we treasure more than Him, in order to reveal Himself to us. He will do whatever it takes so that we will rest in His unfailing love. Do you remember the context of this passage? Elijah confronted Ahaz, the wicked king of Israel. Ahaz and his wife Jezebel had pulled the hearts of Israel into the worship of Baal. Baal was a fertility god, the god of rain. And so Elijah prays that it would not rain to show that the Lord is God. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. God miraculously provided for Elijah. He took him to a brook and fed him with the, by the ravens, bringing him bread. Later, as the brook dried up, Elijah goes to the home of a widow. And as the widow gives the last of her, of her grain and her oil, it didn't run out. This widow's son dies and Elijah raises him from the dead. Sounds like pretty exciting newsletters that he could write. To top it all off, he has a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Elijah builds an altar 
and he dumps water all around it. And he prays, and God sends down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, consume the, the water, and even consume the altar. The Lord is God. Now Elijah is so excited, he prays and God sends rain after not raining for three and a half years. The people say, yes, the Lord is God, and they kill the prophets of Baal. And Elijah runs cross country and beats the king back to the capital. And he's expecting God to do an amazing thing and to bring about revival. And instead of revival, he gets there. And Jezebel threatens his life. The same Elijah that had a, such a successful ministry switches from faith to despair. When his life is threatened, he runs to the desert. And he hides under a bush. And he says, Lord, take my life. I've had enough. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Have you ever felt like Elijah? I've had enough, Lord. What do you do when the world is crashing down on top of you? What do you do when the darkness is overcoming? What do you do when you feel like you've had enough? God reveals himself to Elijah in the middle of his disappointment and shows him that he is enough. Let's read the revelation of God from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. 
And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come into your presence broken, crushed, and disappointed. We need to hear from you this morning. We need to experience your presence. May this sanctuary be like the cave on Mount Sinai. Please meet with us, your people. Show us your glory. Father, we pray this through the intercession of Jesus Christ and the ministration of your Holy Spirit. Amen. What do you do when the bottom falls out of your life? When your heart is exposed, often our greatest disappointments show what we really believe. It reveals what we really love and what we are relying on. God loves us that He will bring us to the point of disappointment and despair in order to crush our idols. And in that moment, He will reveal Himself to us so that we can trust in His unfailing love. Elijah has always had a special place in my heart. We named our fourth child, our son, Elijah, which means the Lord is God. El is God. Jah is for Yahweh. The Lord is my God. And yet even the prophet Elijah forgets his own name. In this moment, as he stood on the mountain, he forgets that the Lord is his God. And he wrestles with the idols of his own heart. And yet instead of condemning Elijah for his idolatry and lack of faith, God graciously reveals his sufficiency to meet Elijah's needs. In verses 5 to 8, we see that God graciously meets Elijah's physical needs. Elijah is exhausted from running to, from Jezreel to Jezreel and then from Israel down to the southern part of Judah. It's almost 300 miles. He's physically exhausted. God sends an angel to minister to him, to meet his physical needs. Twice this angel gives him some bread or some cake and he says, rest, sleep. This angel physically touches Elijah when he is feeling all alone. God knows that we need rest. Physically, he has designed our body to need one day in seven, to come into his presence and to physically rest. I still have a hard time with this. I'm so busy on the mission field and even now on our home missionary assignment when we came here to rest. 
I have such a hard time stopping. I'm so driven and busy. What drives this frenetic energy? My wife and I are in this counseling program and and we've taken 48 credit hours at a master's level in less than a year. We're counseling in the evenings at the Oviedo Counseling Clinic in order to get our clinical hours. And we're visiting churches on the weekends. Why can't I stop and slow down? I think it's my self-sufficiency. I can do it. I don't need God. As a matter of fact, as God has confronted me in my idolatry and in my self-sufficiency, I've realized that I do this in order to protect myself from intimacy with God. I am so busy doing God's work, and I say, you can have my hands, but that guards me from stopping and giving in my heart. This morning we read, be still and know that I am God. Here, God meets Elijah and shows him that he is sufficient to provide for his physical needs. He needs that rest, and he says, Elijah, rest in my unfailing love. Today, we are partaking from this table, and this table is a physical reminder that we are not self-sufficient. We cannot do it. We need to depend on the work of Jesus Christ. God does not need us. God does not need our work. He does not need our our frenetic energy. He says, I want you to rest in me. And here is a physical sign of my presence. I am here revealing myself to you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. God not only shows us that he is sufficient to meet our physical needs, but he meets our emotional needs as well. In verse 10, we see that Elijah is struggling with self-pity. Two times he says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and die, even I only am left." And they seek my life to take it away. In this passage, the way this is constructed, it's it's very egocentric. I, even I, I'm the only one left. When we face disappointments, we can feel like we are alone. For our family, this was one of the hardest things of being on the mission field. We had left our family and our support system, our church, And we are constantly pouring ourselves out for the Costa Rican people. And yet very rarely do those people stop and pour their lives into us. It's hard to express your true needs and desires in a foreign language. And oftentimes the disparity between those that us coming with a lot of resources and those who have no resources, it's easy for us to be, feel like we're always being used. People don't really want to get to know us. They just want something from us. And it's easy to start feeling alone. 
isolated. Have you ever come to that point of isolation and despair? No one understands me. No one has faced what I'm going through. No one can help me. My problems are just too great. Maybe you're caring for a loved one who is sick or incapacitated. You keep giving and giving and feel like the rest of the family is not doing their part. Maybe you're doing a great job at work. You're working hard, but you're overlooked for that promotion again. Maybe you're looking for employment. And you just don't have those contacts and those resources. Maybe you stood up to your friends when they were doing something wrong. And now you're feeling shunned for your stand for the truth. Maybe you kept yourself pure for Mr. Right. But Mr. Right has never come. And you don't want to be alone for the rest of your life. No matter what you are facing, what trials, what disappointments, you are not alone. God is graciously revealing himself to you. And God uses his people to manifest his presence. At the end of this passage, He says, I have 7,000 faithful believers who have not bowed down to Baal. Elijah, you are not the only one left. You are not alone. Brothers and sisters, you are not alone. God has put you in this body to love one another, to be honest with your needs, with your disappointments, to support each other, to encourage one another. One of the greatest joys in the counseling that we're doing is to do grief share. And at a local church, I'm working with people who have lost loved ones. And it's just amazing to see how these people come together and support one another. And the body is tangible in comments they make and just a hug at just the right moment. It's a physical manifestation of the body of Christ. God has put you in in flock groups, in small groups, to bear one another's burdens. I encourage you not to pretend, to be real. You are not alone. A couple of years ago, when we had just found out the traumatic things our children had gone through, we came back for some counseling. And we spoke to one of your small groups. And it was just an incredibly intimate time of letting down our guard and saying, this is what really is going on, and it hurts. It hurts so bad. God has put us in a body to support one another and to manifest his unfailing love. God also reveals that he is sufficient for our spiritual needs. In verses 10 and 14, Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
And in the NIV, it says he's zealous. Do you feel zealous for God? When we experience spiritual success, it's easy for us to become self-righteous. We feel that the power of God is working through us and it's easy to take the credit. It's our zeal that is accomplishing God's work. When I was younger, I played football and a lot of my friends, have you ever seen the movie Rudy? Rudy is a short guy kind of like me. And, and, he, and he's, he's not very athletic, not very strong, but he has zeal and passion. And he plays with all his might. Oftentimes I feel like Rudy. And what I make up for in physical stature or eloquence, I make up for in my zeal. I'm zealous for you, God. I'm sold out. I'm gung-ho. And yet so easy, I can begin to become self-righteous and think that it's my zeal, my work that's going to accomplish what God wants to do. Elijah has this self-righteousness. And he's saying, I'm jealous, I'm zealous for you, God. Oftentimes this can grow into an attitude that God owes us special treatment because of our sacrifice. Then when things don't go our way and terrible things happen to us, it's easily easy to become disappointed with God. Instead of becoming intimate, we distance ourselves from Him. We're scared to expose our true feelings to God, especially our hurts and disappointments. I struggled with this, thinking I was zealous for God and did all these things for Him. And he didn't protect me and my family. In my self-righteousness, I began to question the goodness of God. Has your disappointment ever caused you to question the goodness of God? I sacrificed everything to discipline my children, to educate them, to give them the best experiences possible only for them to walk away from the Lord. Maybe you've sacrificed years in a marriage that's not fulfilling. You try to connect, but inside you feel so lonely and neglected. You know this isn't what marriage was meant to be. Do you believe that God loves you enough that He will continue to disappoint you to disappoint those good desires in order to break you of your pride and cause you to throw yourself onto the unfailing love of your Savior. Elijah's self-centered focus deserved God's wrath. And yet instead of wrath... God graciously reveals his presence. Look at verses 11 and 12. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. 
and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke into p- in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God often sends a strong wind, an earthquake, and fire. But that's not how he revealed himself to Elijah. In Costa Rica, we've experienced some of these things. We've experienced hurricanes. We've experienced earthquakes. We've experienced a volcano erupting. These are spectacular things. And and when it happens, you think, this is bigger than I can control. There is something bigger than me going on here. And yet it was not in these spectacular signs that God revealed himself. It was in a small, quiet voice. The Bible doesn't tell us why God did not appear to Elijah in the spectacular. But I think Elijah was disappointed. He was disappointed because he was expecting God to dramatically bring revival to the people of God, to Israel. He wanted God to work in the spectacular. And oftentimes when you see his miraculous hand at work, you think that's the way God should always work. And you're looking for those spectacular experiences and saying, God, I need you to show up and do something big. And yet it's most often in the quiet, still voice, through those quiet means of grace that God reveals himself to us. It's not in those big spectacular things, but in the mundane. In those daily times of communing with him, in reading the Bible and in prayer. The Word of God is alive and active. It quietly opens our hearts and transforms us as we open ourselves to this revelation. In our struggle with sin, we also often want God to show up and to give us immediate healing. Take this addiction away from me. Take this sin away from me. I don't want to continue to treat my children the way I do take this anger from me. We want God to do something spectacular and yet is in that day by day listening to his voice. In that day by day submitting ourselves to him that God reveals himself. That God transforms us from the inside out. Through his word he exposes our sin. He reveals His grace and gives us the power to transform us into the image of Christ. God is not only revealing His sufficiency to meet our needs and revealing His presence to us, but He's also revealing His glory. But sometimes He does that in unexpected ways. You see, Elijah had a great plan He was zealous for God's glory and wanted Israel to repent. But it wasn't going to happen the way Elijah envisioned. In verses 15 to 18, 
God commissions Elijah to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu to be king over Israel and Elisha to be a prophet in his place. What does anointing a pagan king have to do with bringing revival to God's people? Instead of bringing dramatic revival, God is going to judge his people. And he's going to use a pagan king. Surely that's not what you want, God. But his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Even Jesus had to submit to the Father's plan, sweating drops of blood. In agony, he said, not my will, but yours be done. You see, God protects His glory by thwarting our plans. He safeguards His glory by showing that He is sovereign and that we are not. In Costa Rica, I had a great ministry plan. Our national church, our mother church had dwindled down to 50, and and half of those were college-age students. We had lost our building, and we were looking for a place to go. And I thought, let's get this building right next to the University of Costa Rica. A young worship leader going to our seminary would be great to draw people. I started having discipleship with one of the young leaders on campus. And it was just exciting to see God work. And through the ministry of this student, this, another student came to Christ. And then another student came to Christ. And I'm thinking, this is great. God is going to use this to reach all of Costa Rica. But then God began to unravel my plans. That student I was ministering to that was leading this campus outreach, he was so gung-ho, he's like, Jeff, I have all these students learning English. Let's watch a movie at your house and, and talk about how the scriptural worldview and how these things deal with our daily life. This young man was dragged under and drowned in a swimming accident at the beach. And God brought my, my dreams to a halt. I was crushed. But God said, I will not share my glory. I have something different planned. As I have experienced disappointment, God has revealed something about me. He protects his glory. But as I've embraced that and leaned into that sorrow, into that disappointment, I think God has has allowed me to grow in my ability to broadcast that glory. Over spring break, we were visiting some supporters in New York and New Jersey, and I took my kids to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And there in the gallery, on this hand, you had Monet, an impressionist painting, and, and, and over here you had Rembrandt. My personality is much more drawn to the Monet. I like the cheerful. I'm not very precise. I just love that splashes of color, the feel good. And yet God is adding colors to my palette, those darks, 
those blacks, those browns. And he's saying, Jeff, I want you to be acquainted with sorrow and grief and disappointment. You see, on that backdrop, my glory is highlighted. Rembrandt brings out those details of the light and it pops from the painting. In the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our despair, God's glory shines all the brighter. God is revealing himself. And he's sovereignly fulfilling our longings. You see, although he disappointed Elijah and didn't bring about the revival that Elijah was looking for, he did do something pretty spectacular. At the end of Elijah's life, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, Elijah is caught up in wind and fire as a chariot takes him up into glory. You see, God appeared in the dramatic and met Elijah in that spectacular demonstration of his power and glory. And yet God did not even stop there. He sovereignly exceeds our expectations and the longings of our heart. You see, the next time that we see Elijah is in Luke chapter 9, verse 30. Elijah appears on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is manifesting His glory in ways that far exceed our expectations. And yet even there, Jesus Christ had to die. And as He said, Lord, if it's Your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but Yours be done. And He sent His Holy One to the cross to experience that sorrow, that disappointment that He may taste glory. And he says, Elijah, you had a vision to bring revival and repentance to my people Israel, but I have a plan much greater than that, and you are part of my plan to bring glory to the nations, to the ends of the earth, and through the risen Christ, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, God has allowed you to play a part, just like Elijah, in this unfolding plan of his glory. And he will use whatever it takes to wean you from those idols and so that you rest on His unfailing love. And as you are transformed and transfixed and experience that glory, then you will broadcast it to the nations, whether that's through VBS or on the Omaha Reservation or in Wadis or to the ends of the earth. God is revealing Himself to you so that he can reveal himself to the nations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Redeemer and the part that they are playing in manifesting your glory. 
Please break us of our idolatry and reveal your glory as we rest in your unfailing love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.